The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. Check this out, you guys. Look at this. Billionaire entrepreneur, hell-bent on saving the world with his water reclamation project, I'm sure. Castle, by all accounts, Victor Crown has helped millions of impoverished people by providing them clean drinking water. Or is he infecting us with it? Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, August 25th, 2022. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be I can't trust anybody these days, particularly the institutions, in which it increasingly appears we've been placing far too much trust for far too long. It's one of the many sobering awakenings to which the world is being exposed. We appear to be heading into that proverbial darkest hour before the dawn, which an increasing number of people are beginning to see as the darkest hour before the dark, (laughs) because they're having a difficult time seeing any light at the end of the tunnel. But is it because the light isn't there, or just because our view of it is being blocked? In the hopes of shedding some light on this creeping sense of darkness, we have some compelling commentaries and discussions to share with you, along with my own very mixed emotions, reactions, commentaries, and responses. In a way, our show today is a continuation of the themes and topics we discussed on our last two broadcasts about the Mar-a-Lago raid on Trump's home and about the controversy over atheists and Christians and the whole religious question. And now you'll understand why I felt it was so necessary to cover those issues. It all begins right after our reminder that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. Hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave. Follow and like us on your favorite podcast platform and visit us at justrightmedia.org where you can access all of our social media links and archive broadcasts. As always, your financial support is appreciated and is what makes this show possible. On our show last week, we featured highlights of Donald Trump's speech at the CPAC event which just coincidentally happened to precede the FBI raid on Donald Trump's home at Mar-a-Lago. Having clearly anticipated that raid, Trump's safe was already empty before FBI agents broke into it. His security system recorded all the inappropriate activity of the agents while in his home, and all the while, Trump had been insisting that the documents and records the FBI claimed it was looking for should be made available to the public. To understand why the FBI and Deep State are so fearful of Trump, one has only to consider his political agenda, which was made clear at the CPAC convention and which we covered last week. But just briefly to recap, after describing America on the edge of an abyss, Trump called for a crippling defeat of the radical left socialist lunatics, declaring that we have to shatter the corrupt Washington establishment once and for all. Vowing to drain the swamp, Trump declared that it is time to clean house in Washington, expose exactly what they're doing, what they're hiding, who they're silencing, who is funding it all, and who is coordinating it. Clearly, Trump's political enemies are terrified because they know that if anybody can do it, it'll be Trump. Trump has captured the narrative, and the radical left socialist lunatics, quote-unquote as he put it, 
have lost their narrative, which is why they may even become more desperate and dangerous. As the persecuted protagonist in the greatest American story ever told, Trump has known all along that unless the narrative is just right, <laughs> America's story won't have a happy ending. And as if to fulfill my own prophecy, on the Friday following last week's broadcast, this amazing exhibit of a narrative that is so wrong, it couldn't be more right as an exhibit of what's wrong with our so-called fourth estate, which Trump properly labeled the fake news media. Headline reads, Right Follows Script After Mar-a-Lago Search written by Andrew Cohen and appearing in the London Free Press on August 19th. And I quote, Portland, Maine. If you want to know how prosecuting a former president will test the system and you fancy a taste of the calamity coming to America when it comes to Donald Trump, look at what happened after the FBI searched his home at Mar-a-Lago in Florida. The right exploded. They screamed. They seethed. They snarled. The words were not just shrill. They were terrifying. At times, they encouraged violence. It was a scripted performance from the Republicans and their far-right fellow travelers taken from their well-thumbed playbook. The raid is another escalation in the weaponization of federal agencies against the regime's political opponents, tweeted Ron DeSantis. This is the worst attack on this republic in modern history period, declared Mark Levin of Fox News. Compare the FBI to the Gestapo, Stalinist Stasi, and Praetorian Guard in Rome. Defund the Bureau, call the raid a declaration of war and a hill to die on. These are the new Republican rules of order in public debate. Rush to judgment, ignore facts, enter shooting, empty your arsenal, deny, attack. Restraint is no virtue, insanity is no vice. The reality? The search warrant was approved by a judge after the raid was approved by Garland after weeks of failed negotiations with Trump. Garland is careful and deliberate, which is why he has not yet prosecuted Trump. Moreover, the FBI reportedly found highly classified material. Most dangerous now is the perception that the political climate is too delicate to prosecute Trump. It will cause division. It will improve Trump's chances in 2024. This is what Trump's acolytes want. Throw enough shade to discredit the legal process and threaten civil disorder, if not civil war, if it proceeds. Trump is not Nixon. He will never admit guilt and go away. Vengeful and delirious, he plans to run again, end quote. Amazing. Let me begin by saying, as I do to all so-called journalists and editorialists who tow the statist line, shame on you, Andrew Cohen. Your work demonstrates that you have no standard of ethics, no objectivity, no professionalism, and you are hereby demoted from the fourth estate to the fourth mistake. Where to begin? First, I found it curious that his editorial should begin with the formality of writing Portland, Maine, dash, in front of the editorial, as if to suggest it's a news report from Portland, Maine, which it is not. There's not a single relevant fact in the whole essay, and the people he comments on aren't sitting in Portland, Maine. But there are many lessons to be gleaned from this essay. Again, as I say so frequently, please note the pejorative and repetitive use of the term the right, as in the name of our show, which is just right. 
the right exploded, Republicans and their far-right fellow travelers. And even the headline reads, right follows script. <laughs> but what does Cohen mean by the right? Lucky for him, he doesn't have to define his terms because he already knows that those on the quote-unquote right live in fear of that label and continue to allow the left to use it against them. How many times do I tell you you got to pick that label up and run with it with all pride that it is due? Now, fortunately, his article appeared in the state-subsidized London Free Press, where he is effectively licensed to lie. Quote, the right exploded. They screamed. They seethed. They snarled. They encouraged violence. Rush to judgment. Ignore facts. Enter shooting. Empty your arsenal. Deny attack. Restraint no virtue. Insanity no vice. I mean, this, this is madness. And nothing attached to any of these accusations. And the irony is, no one reading only the London Free Press or the National Post would even be aware that any of these things happened. So he's bringing it to their attention, at least. And as usual, and as always, with each and every single article of this sort that I've been sharing over the years, not a single example of anything he's talking about. Nothing. Zippo. Zilch. The reality, the search warrant was approved by a judge after the raid was approved by Garland after weeks of failed negotiations with Trump. The reality, as opposed to what other narrative? No one ever denied that the search warrant was approved by a judge. Who's whoever said that? A crooked judge at that. And to what failed negotiations is he referring? All accounts that I read made it clear that Trump had already made his documents available to them and that Trump had declassified them and wanted them made public. Even the one that appeared in the London Free Press, they covered this. There was never any question about failed negotiation. So what particular documents were being negotiated to which this failure applies? Cohen doesn't say, nor does he care. We actually read the list of documents that was released by the FBI on our show last week, and it was somewhat laughable. Moreover, the FBI reportedly found highly classified material, writes Cohen, obviously oblivious to the fact that Trump is perfectly within his rights to possess it since he is the authority who does the classifying and declassifying, for heaven's sakes. Trump is not Nixon. He will never admit guilt and go away. Vengeful and delirious, he plans to run again. Wow. To what guilt and about what crime is Trump expected to admit? I have no idea what he's talking about. Has this got something to do with archive documents, a big crime that he's entitled to? We know today that even Nixon was set up by the deep state, by the way, and I recall that at the time Ayn Rand herself condemned Nixon for resigning, but that's another story. But to what kind of guilt about what kind of archive document could he be talking if that's the case? So thank you, Andrew Cohen, for adding to my already overflowing collection of journalistic excrement that any even mask-wearing submissive can smell miles away. Wow. Now... To see the value in Cohen's essay, you just have to recognize a single principle. Every word he has written is a projection of what the left does routinely. You couldn't get a better confession to pure evil. From the collusion with Russia hoax to this, everything uttered by the left is pure projection, and there are well-established psychological principles explaining this phenomenon. Which brings us back to our show of two weeks ago, to the religious considerations and how they are increasingly becoming entangled with the political discussion. 
On August 19th, Laura Lynn Tyler Thompson featured a very unusual type of guest on her show. Unusual in the sense that her guest happened to be an elected member of his government, and more than that, the leader of the official opposition, who in his own words described himself as, quote, the only elected politician in the Western world to oppose every aspect of the COVID narrative since the beginning. Uh, I'm very excited because we have Thierry Baudet. He is the opposition leader in Holland, and uh, we are very, very excited. He, he has written a book. It is the number one bestseller in the Netherlands. This book is by a Dutch politician and opposition leader, and it describes the conspiracy of Western governments against their own people during the so-called COVID pandemic. Uh, sir, thank you for being here. And, and please uh, tell us um, what you're seeing happening in your country. Yeah, so thank you very much for having me. I'm from the Netherlands in Europe, uh, a, a relatively small country, but um, uh, one of the uh, the countries that is most closely monitored by our friends from the World Economic Forum. As we all know, uh, Justin Trudeau uh, is just as much involved in that semi-secret circle as our Dutch Prime Minister, Mark Rutte. And um, in the Netherlands, uh, not only during the COVID situation, which we've seen for the past two years, but also right now, um, the great reset plans are being implemented at the highest speed possible. So we had fanatic lockdowns. We had uh, mandates for COVID vaccination. And now we experience the expropriation of 40% of our farmers in order to disrupt our food production, to make us ever more dependent on international globalist structures, and also to free the land to put immigrant housing there and, and to conclude the demographic transition, as it were to dilute our national identities and bring in ever more people from Africa and the Middle East. So here in the Netherlands, I would say we, we're experiencing quite a crisis at the moment. Uh, there is a complete um, politicization of the medical class. And we've seen, this is very shocking. This has been really one, and that's what I write about in my book, which is coming out in uh, the United States and Canada in October, by the way. And uh, Steve Bannon has written a, a beautiful preface to the book. So I, I ho really hope it will um, it will reach a, a readership internationally be because I describe how I, as the only elected politician in the Western world, have opposed the, the every aspect of the COVID narrative from almost the very beginning. And the kind of resistance I encountered and the attempts to bring me down and the attempts to destroy our party, Forum for Democracy, and also the ways in which the professional class, the, the medics, the so-called experts, who, as it turns out, had, had no clue at all of what was in the injections. They didn't understand anything about the way respiratory viruses spread which is why they were supporting these 
ridiculous and ineffective and destructive lockdowns and, and social distancing measures and the face masks, uh, which don't protect anyone against anything and so on. Uh, so the medical class, rather, I would I would say rather like in Nazi Germany, has really discredited itself, and we are living in very creative times because every authority that we thought we could rely on, almost every authority that we thought we could rely on, has has profoundly discredited itself from the from the university professors to uh, um, peer reviewed journals to obviously the medical class, uh, of course, the financial world with, with, with everything that we're in right now, the secret services, uh, we, we are really on our own. And it's a very comforting emotion for me to talk to you right now and to see that there are people across the globe who are connecting the dots and who are thinking along these lines. And it's so important that your viewers that they start connecting and that they start supporting you and, and, and other people and that we're really we're, we're, we're really the only ones left. We're the last men and women standing. So this is the fight. This is the moment, the existential moment of our of our freedom. You, you just said that you uh, spoke to Trump yesterday and Trump, um, uh, I think Trump was railroaded by um, a conspiracy of the mainstream press on the one hand and of the Democratic Party, which rigged the elections. I think uh, Dinesh D'Souza has really nailed it in his wonderful documentary, 2000 Mules. There was election fraud in the United States and the media, first of all, refused to talk about it. Second of all, refused to talk about the uh, shocking corruption of the Biden crime family. and. Uh, Hunter Biden's laptop and so on. And so uh, th this is another center of authority that we thought we could rely on. The, the elections, the formal system, right? Voting. That, that used to be something we could rely on in a democracy. And now we, use, we also know that even that is, is you know, it's, it's like uh, watery sand under our feet. It, it's, we're, we really live in very uncertain uh, and, and, and very creative times for that reason. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to put it, creative times. Uh, but I see that you are analyzing uh, in your book, you have taken to analyzing the death rates and the effects of the coronavirus uh, on the healthcare system. And I'm so very, very grateful that you are as well on this because we need all of us across the world to be very, very aware that something has seized our nation. And I, I do believe that Donald Trump, the other day, for the very first time, he actually said, listen, everyone, we need to take a step back. This is very bad. And one of the things uh, I did see him personally um, last night at, a, at an event, and I was able to ask him a question about draining the swamp. and. One of the things he said was, the swamp is very deep. And the look in his eye told me that he knows now better than when he was in the presidency how deep that swamp is. Do you think, sir, Mr. Baudet, are you also becoming very aware that something very sick and evil is, has literally infiltrated all of our countries and we have to fight? 
Yes. It's a it's a simple yeah. answer. The answer is yes. <laughs> the answer is yes. Yes. And so you're taking to fighting. What are you experiencing? I'm uh, avoided like the plague in the Netherlands. And um, luckily, I have a very beautiful wife and I have a great family and I have wonderful people in my organization, my party. And we were standing strong. But the isolation is uh, very significant. And it's um, it's almost like I'm watching this as an w with an external perspective because, uh, and I also described this in the book, I was launched in 2017 as the, uh, so to speak, golden boy of conservatism in the Netherlands. And I became the largest party. Uh, I won the elections. I was I was on, on the way to become, you know, the, the next prime minister of the Netherlands or, or, or uh, you know, one of the coalition parties and a minister and and the and, and some senior big wig of the governing party over dinner said to me you can have any position you like you know that that kind of thing and then came covid and i decided not to play along with the game and that's when everything changed i was completely ignored in the media uh, within my own party people tried to uh, remove me from power and and change the the course of the of the party to go along with the COVID narrative, and um, you know it's just all the forces of the establishment start pulling at you, and if you re if you resist that, then isolation. Um, I, I would even say you're being ostracized, and um, it's almost a badge of honor that I wear now because I. I don't even want to be part of their, their little game anymore. But it is a very significant change in my life. It's been a, been a social disruption, you know, family members and friends, they don't, they don't want to talk to you anymore. And everybody, everybody gets affected by it. It's a very strong social, professional, economical, you know, banks, the financial system starts being difficult. Everything becomes very difficult and it's, it's it, it's very true what the Donald Trump said. The, the, the deep state runs very very deep, and um, and the swamp is is all around us. And I'm not even sure that the formal institutions are necessarily the way that we're going to go about changing this. I mean, it's it's obviously necessary for us to be in parliament and to be in the formal institutions to participate in elections and so on. But ultimately, I'm a grassroots guy. I believe that through people like you and me connecting and your viewers connecting and ordinary citizens doing their part, that is how we're going to change this. Not top down through some guy who is individually going to do this. We have to do this as a collective effort. No, I'm, unfortunately, I'm, I don't think there will be a day of reckoning. I, 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 I think we will lose this battle. And I think there will be pockets of free people here and there who will be able to continue with their lives, who will be left alone, more or less, by the global system. 
I think it will be rather like the Matrix movies. We, we will be on Nebuchadnezzar's. Wow. We will be on, on hovercrafts and we will live uh, rather lousy lives without much comfort and without much, you know, nice food and nice clothing and, and, and all the luxury things of the system. Well, that's terrible. But I, but I think... Yeah. Yeah, but that, so that's what I hope. think. You, you don't have much hope. No. You think we've kind no. of lost already? Yes. Yes. Yeah, I think we have. We have lost. Yes. But that doesn't mean that I, I cannot speak the truth. I mean, we 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 can still. Yes, we have to think freely. We can speak freely. We we do have certain small uh, liberties left. But we're essentially all imprisoned already. And uh, the system is just too powerful. And the average IQ in the world is just too low for people to understand this. So I, I, I'm, I'm a pessimist. I'm sorry. Does it really come down to IQ? Because you do begin to think they're stupid for not seeing it. And, and, and you, you feel badly for saying that. But you're like, how can you not see this? We should have fought immediately. We should have stood together immediately. But we didn't. Yeah. Our churches in Canada, who should be promoting uh, uh, healing, basically said either get the vax or don't come to church, right? Or stay in your yeah. unvaccinated bubble over there for the Christmas pageant. Like we've been so let down from the people who should have been standing strong, but they took money. They got bribes. I don't know if your churches were paid. I have great faith in God, but I do read in Revelations that there there is a great problem coming. And so if this is Revelations days, that would fall in line with what you're saying, sir, that we've lost the battle. A lot of people come on my show and they try to tell us that we have hope. And some days I really want to believe that, but sometimes I, I actually don't see how we get out of this very easily. So I, I concur yeah. a little bit with you. But having said that, I do believe that I'm gonna find my nice clothing somewhere it might not be in the country <laughs> that I was hoping it to be, uh, you know, but I'm, yes. I'm going to try to make a good life. But we're, I guess we're going to have well, to adjust our thinking. What do you recommend? How do we be safe, sir? We're not safe here. We can't have life-saving operations unless we get a vaccine. In Canada, a, a woman needs a lung transplant. She's done everything. She will die now because she will not take the vaccine because she knows yeah. that vaccine could be the thing that kills her. Yeah, it's terrible, um, but it would be a, a very good proof of the existence of God if we would win this in the end, don't you think? It would be an act of God. It, it would. Only a God can save us. And he a, is after all. God can save us. I, I, I really think that we, um, yeah, if, if some, a, a miracle, we, we need a miracle. Well, pessimistic is an understatement. You know, when people start saying that only a God can save us and that we need a miracle, then all I'm hearing them say is that there's nothing we can do to avert the events we fear. There is no hope. And consider this. While Thierry Baudet, the leader of the Dutch opposition party, is pronouncing the end of the world as we know it, a huge swath of the public doesn't even know anything about the war in which they've already lost. They're still walking around with masks on and lining up for their fourth and fifth boosters of a concoction whose contents are nothing short of terrifying and have nothing to do with viruses. 
and to complicate the issue even further. There is a large body of thought that is operating on the premise that the deep state has already lost its war, and that all of the irrational and bizarre thoughts and actions emanating from the globalists is evidence of that. And why would a victory for our side be taken as any kind of proof for the existence of God? And if we lose, that means God doesn't exist? Obviously, that's not what he's saying. When he says no day of reckoning, it means that this particular goal, you know, reckoning, vengeance, justice, accountability, however you see it, is out of reach, though none of the other objectives may be. It shouldn't stop anyone from attempting to achieve those objectives, and of course many are doing so, but if some kind of day of reckoning is the only thing that motivates people to take action, then everything is lost even before it's begun. And no doubt there will be some symbolic pawn selected and sacrificed on the altar of our reckoning sacrament, but we are far past the point of justice at this point in time. Part of the problem with the daily barrage of state-funded media propaganda is that the propagandist newspapers never cover the right side, news relating to all of the resistance building against the so-called globalist deep state. So we become overwhelmed by the constant barrage of excrement like the editorial we shared by Andrew Cohen. We can't see the light that awaits us at the end of the tunnel. And if we lost, then who won? And what did they win? Even in victory, their stated intentions, and I stress, stated intentions, are doomed to fail because they're all based on ideas and principles that do not conform to reality or reason. Like all collectivist dictatorships, they will self-destruct, a consequence that unfortunately means nothing to the dictatorship itself. I think it's time to face up to the fact that we're dealing with outright nihilists and nihilism, people who value nothing and care about nothing. Only the destruction of other people's values is what motivates them. This is difficult for the average person to understand, let alone accept, if he ever does understand it. We'll be hearing a bit more from Thierry Baudet a bit later in the show. But first, enter the controversy generated by none other than Sam Harris, who, when he appeared on the talk show called Trigonometry, actually said out loud that the truth doesn't matter and that, well, he has an acute infection of Trump derangement syndrome. <laughs> on this side of the upcoming bumper, David Fry and Robert Barnes dive into the controversy, while on the return side, Stephen Crowder and his gang take a crack at Harris. And then it'll be my turn. People, no one's going to let Sam Harris ever forget about that. That's okay. Well, why people ever elevated that guy? It's like Douglas Murray, I don't respect, never have. Um, a lot of the, those people in that world, I have great respect for Jordan Peterson as the psychologist. Outside of that, God bless him, it's not his strong fault. Not, not, not a strong point. Um, and, but, he's a, but he's a brilliant, brilliant uh, psych, uh, I, in the psychology field. But a lot of I those knew. guys are, Sam Harris always a joke. I mean, well, how I, do you I, continue to promote atheism as the solution and religion as the problem after the 20th century? As like, whatever arguments you can make that all the world's evils come down to religion. Well, we had atheistic power in the 20th century, and they killed more than 100 million people. They established a war. They, they took over half the world. They made life miserable for several generations of people. 
The argument in favor of atheism leading to a better world is gone and finito. Yeah, you got pseudo intellectuals who grew up, who's a rich kid who inhale. That's how Sam Harris people go. How does Sam Harris make his money? He's now he hasn't earned a dime. He got it from mommy and daddy. He got it from his inheritance. That's who he is. He's a pseudo intellectual with a little podcast that talks like one of those little NPR nerd hosts that Saturday Night Live used to make fun of when they had cojones in comedy. And 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 so it's not a surprise. I'll give him credit for letting out of his lips what he really thought. And people are like, one, this guy's an idiot. And two, this guy's dangerous in terms of his ideas, because he was saying, I'm fine with Hunter Biden. For those that didn't hear it, I'm fine with Hunter Biden burying dead kids in his in his basement as long as it meant Trump got defeated. That's what a joke Sam Harris is. He's a political hack. He's a he's a quasi pseudo intellectual. He's a sophist. He's never been a serious. I've never respected anything he said. Just because he said some anti-radical Islam thing, people thought he was a genius. Being smarter than Ben Affleck just means you're one grade above in the same school for the <laughs> gifted. And I don't mean the right kind of gifted. Hold on. I'll pull it up. I don't I don't feel the same compulsion to rail against Sam Harris because I, I didn't know who he was. Never listened to him before. I knew the name, but I thought I knew the name in the context of... Um, uh, like I, I don't know why I, I associated the name of Sam Harris with Richard Spencer, and I don't know if that, I don't know anything from either of them. I just remember hearing those names together. Never knew anything about them. But this is what he said. For for those who haven't heard it, and look at Trigonometry's face, uh, Costin. I, I I mean Hunter Biden at that point, Hunter Biden literally could have had had the corpses of children in his basement. I would not have cared. Right? It's like it's, there's nothing. First of all, it's Hunter Biden, right? It's not. It's like it's not Joe Biden. But forget forget ten percent for the big Joe guy. B- like even the, whatever scope of Joe Biden's corruption is, like if you if we could just go down that rabbit hole endlessly and and understand that he's getting kickbacks from Hunter Biden's deals in Ukraine or wherever else, right? I understand that or China. Yeah, it is infinitesimal compared to the corruption we know Trump. Is involved in. It's like it's like, it's like I'd like to flesh that to up. Sun, right? Look at his face. I mean, like, just, oh my god! It doesn't even it doesn't even stack up against Trump University, right? Trump University as a story oh. is worse than anything that could be in in Hunter Biden's really? laptop. Really, that's in interesting. My view, right? that's, that's interesting. Now that's not that doesn't answer the people who say it's still completely unfair to not have looked at the laptop in a timely way and to have shut down the you know the New York Post's. Twitter account like that. That's a, just a conspiracy. That's a left wing conspiracy to deny the presidency to Donald Trump. Absolutely. It was absolutely right. But I think it was warranted. Right. And I'm and again, it's a coin toss. <laughs> that's not, how that these people all right. think. I was the one that said we should move yeah. on. But you've just <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll share the link that that was um, that was shared on Poso. But go watch trigonometry, man. I, I couldn't believe their faces. They were like, Holy crap, we didn't even ask you to do this. Well, it's, and you it's like the Time Magazine election fornication piece. It's out there saying, yes, there was a left-wing conspiracy to deny Trump the presidency by every means, uh, licit and illicit, and they're proud of it. And, and this is the, it, the only thing useful is it exposes the mindset. What combined these people is, one, they think they're a lot smarter than they actually are. I wouldn't employ Sam Harris for anything. Uh, I mean, I have that severe doubts about and that skepticism about his intellectual capability but secondly it has been further uh misshaped by the sort of intellectually incestuous environment in which they believe they are the gods amongst us 
which some said is what atheism, by the way, would always lead to. To all my atheist friends out there, my religious friends are winning that argument by the looking at Sam Harris, uh, is that they would think of themselves as gods and deities. They what, that it, And you see this in the legal context and that people are saying the law is what I say it is. It's like the judge in the Alex Jones case. Well, I understand you think it's truth, but I, I determine truth. Uh, you, you don't determine truth. The, and I say it's a, a, a lie, so that's the end of the story. That kind of mindset. And by the way, when people see violations of their policies that are crystal clear, hacked tax returns, stolen from Donald Trump, put out on Twitter, and nobody said anything to the New York Times about that. They didn't get their account banned or that tweet pulled down. Yeah. That was weeks before the Hunter Biden laptop story. Look, I would invite Sam Harris to come on the show uh, here, of course, and as we all know, it would, be, it would be respectful. Well, no, look, he's not I'm sorry. Here's the thing. And I know Sam Harris will say, that's beneath me. Speaking. Maybe. I'm sure you, you're probably a lot smarter than me, Sam. I wouldn't be able to hang with you, right? We both know that. Should be an easy layup for you. But the issue here is... Um, this was the guy who was on the panel. I think we just ran this. Was it yesterday or two days ago with, with Ben Affleck? Mm, yeah. He yeah, was the one who pissed ago. off Ben Affleck, right? And he understood then that he should be allowed to express the danger of bad ideas. Hold on a second. What if that conversation, Sam, had taken place on Twitter rather than a panel that's edited by producers on HBO? And they just decided your information can't get out. Your information, your point of view, which, by the way, I agree with. I know you've done some stellar work on Islam and exposing the bad ideas therein. But what if you weren't able to? And what if you were running for president or governor and you weren't able to? And what if Ben Affleck was amplified and there was nothing that you could do about it? This is something else, too. You get with a lot of these intellectuals. And I don't say that, by the way, uh, in, an, in any kind of way to denigrate anybody. That's, that's sort of how he's labeled, right? These are intellectual podcast i believe right. he still has a podcast i'll listen to them but this is a guy who's obviously he's an atheist he's well known as an atheist and he expresses his discontent or uh sort of bewilderment with christians who believe what he says cannot be you know proven and that's true and i say this as a bible believing christian that's what defines me and gerald is and and, and dave believes in, in god we i let me just i'll speak for myself as a bible believing christian okay i understand at a certain point yeah something is taken on faith we all have to acknowledge at a certain point the start of the universe has to be taken on faith as well. We don't know. We have theories. I'm not talking about evolution. I'm not talking about Adam. I'm not talking about Adam. I'm not talking about Adam either. Any of that. I'm saying, how did the universe begin? All of us at some point are taking it on faith. You may argue that mine is sillier than yours. Got it. I'm a dummy. But in this case, we have Sam Harris. Again, let's keep in mind, Christians, they believe something that can't be proven, even though no one can prove exactly how the earth began, exactly how the universe began, has information in front of him that he knows is false, that he knows can be proven to be false, and by the way, on the flip side, be proven to be true. Hunter Biden, laptop, the money exchanging hands, right? The commission for the big guy, the liability. And he says, I don't care anyway. So what I just want to make sure we all understand is you can be very smart. And I'm saying this with 100% genuine. Sam Harris is very smart. He's a very intelligent man. Okay? Very intelligent people can face facts and reality and choose 
to deny them or dismiss them anyway. Entire nation of people, all the founders who created the laws that are unique to this country, freedom of speech, which does not exist anywhere else, founded on Judeo-Christian principle, they were all dummies. You figured out something that they missed, right? The edgy atheism. I understand it. But right now you're saying that you're facing reality and you don't care anyway. So let's not have yeah. some, let's not have some existential uh, conversation about the nature of truth if you don't care. You're listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. And Stephen Crowder has it half right. Here again is the failed recognition of philosophical axioms, which are key to resolving these dilemmas. An axiom is something that can neither be proven nor disproven, since in the attempt to do so, any purported proof vanishes. As always, the two key axioms that must be accepted, not on faith, but on the evidence of our senses and of our reasoning faculty are existence and consciousness. It is not possible to either prove or disprove existence or consciousness because you will be faced with a contradiction. And contradictions, contrary to so many popular misconceptions, referring to them as paradoxes or some other such phenomenon, cannot exist in reality. If you run into a contradiction somewhere, then you know something's in error. Something cannot be and not be at the same time. If it is possible to prove existence, then it must, by virtue of all valid tests of proof, also be possible to prove that existence does not exist. And if you can prove that existence doesn't exist, well, then neither does your proof exist, because you just proved it, <laughs> right? The same principle applies to consciousness. If you could prove that consciousness doesn't exist, then the very means of acknowledging that proof, one's consciousness, would not exist, along with the proof that vanishes with it. Then there's this additional confusion over Christianity, captured in Crowder's observation that Sam Harris, as an atheist, is bewildered by Christians who believe in what cannot be proven. Well, if it's the morality of Christianity that he's talking about, that can be proven, one way or another, as has been the varied case throughout history. But notice where the conversation inevitably drifts, towards proving the origins of the universe. How did the universe begin? Now you start seeing why I had to bring up these issues on earlier programs. Since when was that question a question for religion or faith to tackle? It seems to me that philosophy and physics and mathematics, among other disciplines, would be more appropriate to address issues on the nature of the universe. Well, of course, one of the reasons you can't prove the beginning of the universe is that it didn't have a beginning. It is eternal, and time is not a concept that exists outside of what we call the universe, which is what, of course, I described as the Supreme Being, and to which we have assigned the name of God. But here you can see that in the greater controversy of our zeitgeist, these dilemmas always present themselves, and it's not always helpful to get caught up in metaphysical questions outside the range of the immediate crisis with which we must deal, and that's political. Which brings me back to some comments made by Robert Barnes. Bear in mind that when Barnes said that we had atheistic power in the 20th century, and they killed more than 100 million people. He was speaking in the context of Sam Harris's contention that atheism is some kind of philosophy or ideology. It is neither. So when Barnes concluded, 
Quote, the argument of saying atheism will lead to a better world is nonsense, end quote. He's absolutely right. Atheism, as such, leads in no particular direction and proposes no code of morality whatever. Christianity, on the other hand, does. Collectivist regimes are by their very nature, quote-unquote, atheistic because you can't have two masters, two moral authorities, two loyalties. And Christianity represents such a threat and opposition. Islam does not. Political Islam is theocracy. And maybe that's why during the Canadian lockdowns, only Christian churches were being attacked, while Muslim churches were wide open and the police were helping direct traffic into their parking lots outside their mosques and places of worship. At the same time, they were locking up Christians. But collectivist regimes are not only intolerant of Christians and others with competing beliefs and values. They are also intolerant of other collectivist and atheistic regimes. That's why communists are always fighting with fascists, both on the left and both atheistic in terms of their fundamental political structures, but supported by people, and this is important, of all faiths and non-faiths alike and everything else in between. Sam Harris exposed the mindset of the left, correctly concluded Barnes, because the left does operate on a code of morality, an evil one, that of nihilism, not of atheism. Nihilism is the expression of what Ayn Rand called hatred of the good for being the good. Now listen to this, and this is the first time I've ever shared this passage from Leonard Peikoff's book, The Philosophy of Ayn Rand. And tell me if this reminds you of anything, and I quote, Modern intellectuals are comparable to a psychopath who murders for kicks. They seek the thrill of the new, and the new to them is the negative. The new is obliteration, obliteration of the essential in every field. They have no interest in anything to take its place. Thus, the uniqueness of the century behind us, philosophy gleefully rid of system building, education based on the theory that cognition is harmful, science boastful of its inability to understand, art which expelled beauty, literature which flaunted anti-heroes, language liberated from syntax, verse free of meter, non-representational painting, atonal music, unconscious psychology, deconstruction and literary criticism, indeterminacy as the new depth in physics, incompleteness as the revelation in mathematics, end quote. <laughs> wow, does that sound like everything we're hearing every day of the week in the news? Here again, on this side of our final bumper, is Holland's opposition leader, Thierry Baudet, with Steven Crowder back again on the return side. The West is about to collapse. It's very obvious. But, you know, democracy is not, is, is, is not a system uh, that works to bring about change. It's a system that is designed to legitimize power. So most people will, in the end, vote for the mainstream candidate or candidates. And so what 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 happens with the the masses the, the the vast majority of the people they will converge towards some kind of um converge to in terms of ideology will be the common ground the the position in the middle which is why the quote unquote uh parties in the center will always win this is this is the case in America where you have the the Democratic candidate and then the Republican candidate, who is who are never really very far from each other, 
unless you have an exceptional situation, like with Trump, who was an exceptional leader, exceptional man, but then he will be isolated completely in the White House. Or if you have an even more exceptional leader, like John F. Kennedy, they will be ex assassinated. So the, the system really is uh, very difficult to change from the inside. And that is why uh, I keep calling for grassroots movements. I think it must come from the people. And that is precisely just the, the thing you were just saying. The interesting thing about COVID is that, first of all, it has shown us the depth of the global conspiracy against us. Because precisely the way that you have explained, all these governments implemented the same ridiculous measures at the same time. They were promoting the same poisonous vaccines. They were promoting the same destructive lockdowns. They were all following the same script. So it has, on the one hand, the COVID conspiracy has shown us the strength and the 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 all-producing uh, power of our enemy. We we really are up against a Moloch. On the other hand, it has brought us all together. I am here talking to you. I am talking to your viewers in Canada, in Florida, wherever um, your viewers are. Uh, here in Europe. We are speaking from the Netherlands. I'm speaking with people from Spain, from Germany, from France, because all of us are now fundamentally realizing we're all in the same boat. We are in this together. We're up against the same enemy. We do have different, yes, we do have different national governments, but ultimately these governments are listening to global players and they are extremely powerful. But we are also extremely powerful if we connect. And that is my message that I've been trying to bring out um, uh, for, for, for years now. I am from the Netherlands. You are from Canada. There are people in Poland. There are people in Greece. We, have all, we all have to come together to fight this together. And we should not put our hopes in a single political candidate or a single political party or a single person this has to be a, a, a truly collective effort. Want to know what can we actively do to combat the silencing of speech? Ah, uh, let's go to this is too general. This is too general. It's like, you want me to fix the world? <laughs> I can't tell you how to combat all of it. It's the only way you combat anything is by fighting for every single inch. I know there are some people out there who say, wait, hold, let's pull back. No, look, I think that most of the time, if you're approaching this fight, thinking that you're a brilliant tactician playing 11D chess, what ends up happening is you're behind on the scorecards. You see it now, you see it happening across the country. Look how far we've gone. You have to fight for every inch all the way. That's all I can, it's the same general advice that I give for everything. You should be posting on all the outlets that are available to you as regularly as you can. You should be having conversations with people in your everyday life and trying to change their minds as regularly as, as you can. That's why we make our content freely available so that you can share it and you can add your own commentary. You can use it. We don't hit you with copyright infringement. You can provide your own rebuttals. Comment. That's why we make all of our sources available to you publicly. Right? 
I want you to go and have conversations with your family members, with your friends. That's why we create the Change My Minds and make them publicly available as far as the resources to you, what sources we use in those videos, because I want to be able to equip you to go and have that conversation in person. I think you need to take part in your community, your local, uh, your local legislature. If you don't run yourself, make sure you know who your local representative is, which is why we have a lot of these people on the show and we discuss them and we bring to your attention the people who we think are worth supporting. I can't tell you that there's one there's one panacea because it doesn't exist. What I will say is this, and we can just leave with this. It was a general question, but here's the thing. It pisses me off because I feel like, and it doesn't piss me off because of this person. It pisses me off because so often conservatives are looking for one thing and they expect one person to be that. Look, no, Carrie Lake, for example, does something very different than I do. I hope she's governor. I am never running for governor or for office. Why? Because what I do here is more effective than most of your representatives. Not all of them. We need both. We need people in different roles. We need an army, figurative army. What I mean is you have different roles. You have generals, you have commanders, right? You need some privates too. Not everyone's a chief. Sometimes you need some good Indians. Listen, not everyone can be all things and conservatives will cannibalize their own if they're not providing everything that people want in that moment. One thing that the left is good about is delegating the roles and responsibilities. They understand that different people fulfill different roles. Unfortunately, often conservatives are looking for one person to fill, whether it's Donald Trump, whether it's DeSantis, all of you have a role, and that role needs to be filled every single day. So if you get mad at someone for not fixing all of those problems and you wonder why we're behind on the scorecards, I would turn that back to you. And here's the thing, I think that the left, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, this is something I would really, if I leave you with nothing other than this, they fear the power that you have more than you recognize it. You remove people all the time. Why? Because I say if enough people start doing their part, start filling their role, ooh, there can be a groundswell. They know that's what you can do. That's why they want to get rid of the people who are informing you of that. But then often you, and I ask, you, ask yourself genuinely, how often are you giving the left a reason to not sleep at night. How often are you fighting every single, or are you saying, what can you do? What can we all do in one fell swoop to defend speech? There's nothing you can do if you're thinking that it's one move. If you're sitting back there cocking it, hoping for one overhand right like Butterbean, you've got to understand that it's every single day, every single inch you fight. You just resign yourself to a life of discomfort and understanding that until the ship is righted, you can't be asking someone else to do for you what, you can't, what you're not doing for yourself. All of you have the ability to have a voice right now. That's what changed. We always talked about that with the internet. We said, well, at least there are no more gatekeepers. And guess what? It changed from, I would say, 2013 onward. When YouTube, Facebook, right? These were free forums where everyone could communicate. And a lot of the stars that you know today, cable news hasn't created a star in a decade. A lot of the stars that you know today came up through social media. Think about people like Joe Rogan. Think about people like Tim Poole. Right? Take your pick. That's where they're being created. And so the left said, hold on a second, we need to stop this. Everyone can't have a voice. But so many of you have decided to silence your own voices and remove yourself from the fight. That's what everyone can do. Every single day, waking up and asking yourself, what can I do today until this ship is righted? Don't ask somebody else. And what I hope and genuinely pray every day is that enough of you ask yourself that question 
every single day and making peace with the fact that the answer might be uncomfortable. And to that I would add, if you're uncomfortable just facing the truth, well, just wait and discover how truly uncomfortable you'll be by failing to do so. Quote, right follows script, end quote, began the headline of Andrew Cohen's wrong script at the beginning of the show today. But there was a truth hidden in that headline that remains unspoken. That so-called script to which he refers is a standard of morality, of justice, of equality before and under the law, which is not a script, but a common recognition of reality and of the good. And if anyone is following a script, it's the left, which again, through projecting its own faults on the right, confesses to its own shortcomings. But I shall close with this warning and solution offered again by Leonard Peikoff in the same essay I cited earlier, and I quote, The collapse of a negative, however, is not a positive. The atrophy of a vicious version of unreason is not the adoption of reason. If men fail to discover living ideas, they will keep moving by the guidance of dead ones. They will keep following, by inertia, the principles they have already institutionalized. For the nations of East and West alike today, no matter what their faddish lip service to a quote-unquote free market, the accumulation of these principles is some variant of dictatorship, new or revised, if not communist and fascist and or religious and or tribal. Force and faith on such a scale would mean the fate of the ancients all over again. The solution to the crisis of our age is love, as everyone says. But the love we need is not love of God or love of the neighbor. It is love of the good for being the good. The good in this context includes reality, man, the hero, and man's tool of survival, reason. To the end of her life, Ayn Rand upheld her distinctive benevolent universe premise. The good, she maintained, can be achieved. It is real. It is possible. It's yours. So long as there is no censorship, she taught, there is a chance for persuasion to succeed. If no definite prediction can be made, she taught, then in reason only one action is proper, to go on fighting for reason. All things excellent, said Spinoza, are as difficult as they are rare. Since human values are not automatic, his statement is undeniable. In another respect, however, and this is Ayn Rand's unique perspective, the task ahead is not difficult. To save the world is the simplest thing in the world. All one has to do is think. End quote. And with that thought in mind, I can think of no better moment to wrap up this week's show than now. So while you've got your thinking caps on, Think about joining us again next week when we will continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be all right. <laughs> that was suppose a hypothetical minister were to get to hear of this hypothetical question in advance. What should he do? Well, the only responsible course would be to ensure that the question was not tabled. That must be obvious. Serious business, trying to suppress an MP's question. Mm. Nevertheless, there is no other course. The only way to stop him 
might be to get him to put down a question asking the Prime Minister to squash the rumours about the closure of the Department for Administrative Affairs. Well, I'm sure something can be arranged, if you'll excuse me. Checkmate, I think. Game, set and match. But can Daniel Hughes really fix this? I mean, don't Prime Ministers have minds of their own? Well, certainly. But as President Nixon's henchman once said, when you've got them by the balls, their hearts and binds will follow. 